Hey, Matt. Hey, how's it going, buddy? Uh, not too bad. It's been a little while, hasn't it? How are you doing? <laughs> it's been a little while, um, and I am three time zones away, which is uh, it's kind of strange, man. Um, you you are three time zones away. You are where are you right now? I'm back in Brit- beautiful British Columbia. Um, we're visiting uh, my family and my wife's family, so I am in the office slash den of my in-laws uh, house recording this podcast which funnily enough it kind of turns into a perfect podcast studio like it's already soundproofed somehow so that's like awesome <laughs> yeah so and i saw a picture that you had posted on facebook a couple of days ago you went golfing yeah i went uh, i went golfing uh at uh, we tried to get on at northview which is where they held the uh, pga tour event in canada for a number of years um it's kind of like our home course um but they had a tournament on middle of December in beautiful British Columbia. Of course, there's a golf tournament. Um, so we actually went and played another like equally high caliber course. It's called Morgan Creek. Um, first time I really played it. And uh, yeah, it was good. I put together this like sort of junky set of clubs and brought it out. So it's like my BC clubs. Um, so it's my first time using them and I shot a 10 over. So uh, it's pretty That's nice. Pretty good. So took- like 10 over is like a decent score. It's pretty decent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was really happy with myself. Um, but it wasn't until the 17th tee box that I'm like, oh, I better snap a picture just so I can gloat to the uh, boys back home on Facebook. So, <laughs> yeah. See, the thing is, like, I'm looking outside right now. It's minus 13, and oh. there's about a foot of snow. So there's no golfing <laughs> happening here, man. That makes me so happy for some reason. I don't know why, but uh, no, it's like. Uh, it's like six, seven degrees here, but, um, really damp, like really foggy and, uh, and get kind of slick, but, uh, people complain about the weather here and I just laugh because I tell them what, what it's like back home. And I'm seeing, um, news reports about the outdoor hockey game in Ottawa that's coming up like today, I think. Um, oh yeah. The NHL classic, right? Dude, you just see people bundled up and the flags flying like completely sideways and they're just like, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like, ah, we're going to go golfing tomorrow. I'm going fishing after this. So yeah, you're going fishing, man. Like (laughs) literally going fishing. Come on. (laughs) Um, so other than the awful weather, like how have you been, man? Like uh, I have, I have been, uh, crazily busy and, uh, I am exhausted and tired and, but I thought like, your busyness was done, bro. Like, I, I thought it was all finished, like, last week or whatever. Or well, <laughs> all right. So, I'm, I'll, I'll open up a little bit about my life as a PhD student here. Um, cool. But uh, but first, uh, everyone, welcome. This is Semi-Intellectual <laughs> Musings, podcast that looks at social sciences, humanities, and arts. Uh, we do so by looking at books, uh, movies, films, um, and sometimes a little bit about our personal life. Yeah, totally. Um, it's funny. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess we better let everybody know what they're listening to here. So, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, everyone. Yeah, normally we're in the same room together up in uh, Phil's beautiful home up in the mountains, but uh, we're doing a bit of a cross-national podcast for you all. Um, so, yeah, that's you were saying true, you're yeah. going to talk about life as a PhD student. So, let's. how about you fill everybody yeah. in, Phil? <laughs> uh, well, for everyone who's new here, uh, I am a um, fifth-year PhD student in sociology, and for everyone who's known me for a little while, you've by now know that uh, I've been trying to work on my project, get ahead on it, and it's not something that's easily done. It requires a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy. So I meet, I reached a milestone last week, which is becoming uh, ABD, which is uh, all but dissertation. So I'm like three quarters of the way done, the PhD at this point. 
Uh, but getting there this term has just been crazy. So um, tell tell everybody what you've done within this like incredibly short period of time. Um, cause it's yeah, quite remarkable. So, what you did is normally stretched over like two or three years, you know? That's right. Yeah. Most people take two years to do what I did. Um, I've kind of taken my time meandering towards it. So a little bit behind in the program needed to catch up and I did, uh, my, so the program that I'm in has coursework. Uh, so you take six courses and then, uh, you do two comprehensive exams, which are kind of like, uh, research papers. 25, 30 page research papers, um, and then a proposal for your project, which is again, another, you know, 15 to 20, 25 pages, um, that basically just proposes what I'm going to do my dissertation on my big final project, call it like a capstone project if you want. And, um, I did my coursework first year, like everyone else. Um, but then I didn't really do my comprehensive exams, you know, life got in the way. I started a full-time job, that kind of stuff. So what people normally take two years to do, I kind of did in like one semester. So like, uh, since August. Yeah. And like that yeah. and start a podcast and being a married man and also yeah. helping your mom like renovate or mother-in-law that, rather, yeah, um, renovate her too. house. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and, um, you know, be Definitely a good friend told Maddie. Yeah. You've been sick a few times. <laughs> um, so no, yeah. it's very impressive. Like I'm actually, you know, to be a little like softy here, but like, I'm really proud of you, man. Um, I know oh, wow. how much work that was. And, um, I actually got to see Phil through that entire process. And, um, he's a real trooper, man, because he still, um, pulled it together and like set up that room, the, the sweat box for us to go and record our podcast. Like once a week, it was, um, you really had a lot of balls in the air, I would say. Yeah, um, I was juggling my balls. You're juggling but, your you balls know, all but, over the place. <laughs> but, you know, for everyone who's been following us for a while, we did kind of go radio silent for a couple weeks back there. And um, that was primarily due to me finishing up those two comprehensive exams in my proposal. So, you know, really giving like a last big push that I needed to before uh, the end of the, the semester, which was last week. Um and I'm now up to date. I am where I'm supposed to be, Yay! basically. Yeah, back on sound effect in. <laughs> throw a sound effect in. Back on schedule. Uh, That's so awesome. That, you know that feels really good. It feels good to have that kind of weight off the shoulders, so to speak. You can hear and, it in your voice, uh, man. To be completely yeah. honest with you, there's more levity in your voice. You're a little, little bit. You seem tired still. Like you're still getting caught up with being fatigued. But there's, um, you're not as like, oh man. I got so much to do. Like you're a little bit more like, Hey, let's podcast. <laughs> yeah. You know, the other side to it is I've been working on, uh, now actually putting together my final project. Right. And, um, uh, on a big project like this. So it's like a hundred thousand words, about 225 pages. Um, you really need a good outline, solid outline, a solid project plan. Um, mm. and I'm a, someone who really likes metrics. You know, I okay. like tracking stuff. I like, seeing how things are going. So I've been setting up a lot of metric trackers oh, to, that's cool. to basically like, you know, organize my time, organize my work. And I've come to the conclusion that, holy shit, I have so much work left to do. <laughs> so, so it's a uh, levity, uh, but it's going to be a brief levity and I'll be back to being my, you know, yeah, I know. <laughs> knit bound like a cannonball of stress and work in like, you know, probably tomorrow. 
Bill's one of those guys that you see sometimes and you just want to give him a neck rub, man. You're just like, get over here, man. <laughs> Let me loosen up the tension. <laughs> it is. Uh, my neck is as hard as like a turkey's neck right now uh, with stress and just, anxiety. And, and a giblet in the front or whatever the hell that thing's called. But that um, being said, that yeah, being okay. said, it is, it is the season of giving right now. <laughs> and we put up our Christmas tree last night and oh, that cool. felt pretty good. That's nice, man. It changes the whole vibe in the house when you uh, start putting the decorations up, right? Are you uh, a yes. um, are you a fake Christmas tree or a real Christmas tree person? No, real, real. Really? Christmas tree. Me too, man. I really yep. like believe in that strongly. Like that's a very strong friend for me, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I went out yesterday and got the Christmas tree. Um, it looked a lot smaller in the lot than it did than it does in the living room. Uh, it's actually like maybe one inch from the ceiling. Wow. Uh, really? Like that's how high it goes. Uh, it, and like its birth is so wide that we actually had to move a chair for it to fit in the living room. Uh, but that's fine. That's okay. A little bit of, you know, rejigging the, 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 the space to accommodate the tree. Um, and this year I went with a hybrid variety. Oh yeah. Yeah. I could have went with the Douglas fir. I, I believe that's what it is. Did you do a um, bunch of research, Phil? Let me ask. No, you. no, 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 okay, God, okay. no. I went, <laughs> I went to the lot and I was like, I need a tree. And he had <laughs> five or six different varieties and uh, different price points. And the hybrid type I was sold on for some reason. I don't know why. Um, I think it's, he said that the needles last longer. Oh, okay. You know, we'll see. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Report back. We'll do a patio session on the uh, state of your Christmas tree. <laughs> so here's to a real tree lover yeah. to another. Okay, Matt. Yeah, totally. uh, do you put lights in your tree? Uh, yes, uh, totally. You do? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're a little gaudy when it comes to decorating a Christmas tree. Like it doesn't like look like all a couple of colors. Like it's just all our ornaments from collected over the years, plus like a string of random lights. And then like, I know we don't, people don't do tinsel anymore, but if there's tinsel to be had, we'll even throw that on there. Like we're nice. pretty, yeah, we do a pretty ugly, ugly Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like um, that. <laughs> so we don't put lights in ours. No, uh, no. What do you do? We, put uh, candles on the end? Like it's the 1700s? No, no. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, no, I, I like, I've heard so much of Christmas trees catching fire because of lights. And I guess like today you could put LED lights that aren't really warm or whatever. Oh, but seriously, I this wanna... is literally the first I've ever, time I've ever heard of that. <laughs> That's of good real, information to put out there. Phil. Of a real Christmas tree catching fire? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just from like, um, like electric lights or whatever, like a string of lights. Yeah. And... Yeah. Never even thought about that, honestly. Yeah, they get, like if you don't water the you water the tree, I hope. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because I guess if it dries out, then it's just exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. But yeah. e but even if you water it, it still dries out a bit. And, yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, like if yeah, lights cause fires, man. So you just decided not to. You just decided to go we sand do lights. It. Yeah. So we got the first year we got it. We got this like string of uh, metallic beads. It almost looks like uh, like a pearl necklace. Oh yeah. Um, and we wrap that around it. Um, and then that kind of shimmers light off. And then this year we got these kind of metal stars that reflect light a little bit. Oh, and cool. then the rest of our ornaments are basically cardboard or paper. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah. So then like we have some like sentimental ceramic ornaments, especially yeah, yeah. Mel. Yeah, um, yeah. but like our ornaments that we got together are ceramic and paper, super light. So it doesn't weigh down the branches ah. and the tree, uh, stays nice until like mid January. Interesting. Um, are you going to like plant the tree afterwards? I, and the reason why I ask, like I was, I went with a, for a walk with a friend who lives in like the immediate neighborhood to me 
and he was showing me a Christmas tree that he had like from when he was a kid. They planted it in the front yard, and it's like it looks like an old growth, like Douglas fir. Now <laughs> it's like how huge. does it how does it grow after it's been cut? Though? Apparently, like it sprouted some roots, like a potato. Like if you throw a potato in a thing of water or whatever, it just sort of sprouted a bit of roots, and then they just chucked it in the ground. Um, this is really? obviously like the climate for Douglas firs and cedars and stuff like this, and but um. But yeah, no, it uh, it's huge, man. It's like it's I've, quite I've tall. never heard of being able to replant your Christmas tree. Uh, me, me too. So I'm maybe he was pulling okay. my leg, but uh, there yeah. you have it. <laughs> yeah, I think he might have been. I'll get him to listen to this when it gets published, and I'll go give him a hard time. Hey, Chuck, <laughs> if you're listening to this, buddy, that was you. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to hear the story behind that one because, yeah, on, like, I, like, like the trees that we use as Christmas trees are like they're a few years old, and then like they have a trunk on them. Yeah. And then you cut that off. So I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I'm, like, I'm, they don't I'm, have I'm doubtful that you can replant a Christmas tree. Ah, cool. Let's make this a thing in January. We'll, we'll revisit this topic. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, okay, sounds good. <laughs> I normally burn them, to be honest with you. I bring them out back and cut them up and use them as kindling. Um, oh, yeah. But I guess I could try to replant it and see what happens. But I think my neighbors are going to think I'm an idiot. Yeah, totally. They'll be like, look at the city guy. Like, yeah, he doesn't exactly. Know yeah, <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> Uh, okay, so we started by talking about some travel. Matt, right. you going to BC? Yeah, me kind of traveling through. I don't know what your intellectual journey liminal, of liminal yeah. space. <laughs> uh, this episode is adventures in space and time. So oh, cool. um, we're going to get into the concepts of space and time and talk a little bit more about it. But before we do that, uh, Matt, it's been a little while. Let's play. Let's play a game of friend or foe. Yay! My favorite. I love friend or foes. All right. And, do you have uh, a topic? Because so I, 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 do, I do have a topic. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> and um, because I know that you took a plane over to BC, yeah. and I've taken planes, and I think our listeners have probably taken a plane or two in their day, or mm-hmm. at least traveled a little bit. Yeah. Um, let's, you know, talk about the merits and demerits. You know, friend or foe really comes down to this, if you're new here. A friend is something that we love, that we cherish, that we couldn't do without. Something, um, you know, as easy as like your mouse pad, right? Like you just mm-hmm. really want to hold it and love it. And But foes are those things that <laughs> attempt to destroy our very nature of human beings. Huh. You know, those things that like just grate on you day in, day out. The things that will like destroy you if they're left unchecked, you know? Yeah, like, like podcast uh, co-hosts. <laughs> I don't... Oh, jeez. Are you talking about yourself or me? Yeah, totally, man. You or, know who I am. <laughs> all right. Matt, today, friend or foe, compression socks. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so compression socks, those are the ones with that really tight elastic up top, and you wear them, like, just under your knee kind of thing? You got it. Okay. Um, foe, I think. Foe. Yeah. Only for the fact that I don't need them right now. Like, I have nice kind of dancer legs, I like to call them. Um, they're okay. really kind of like sculpted and artistic, like almost statuesque, right? <laughs> um, but I find that when I do wear a compression sock, sometimes they're somewhat common in like when you play hockey, you can kind of wear one. When you yeah. take it off, it's got that deep, deep indent into your like the fleshy part of your leg. And it's just That's like, very true. Yeah. Yeah. and then you're like, ow, ow, ow. But then you just got finished playing like hockey, like ice hockey, which is a pretty tough sport. So it's like, it makes you feel like weak. But it also gives you stability. I don't know. So, but just in general, like they're kind of ugly. They're always beige. Um, I'm gonna go faux on compression socks. Okay. 
<laughs> what about okay. yourself, Philip? Uh, you know, I'm 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 partial to uh, compression socks. I kind of enjoy them, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. And uh, like, I have a black pair when I travel long distance on planes. Ooh, and the reason for this, yeah, and like, you know, you wear them under your pants. Like, no one sees them, right? I'm not going around like wearing shorts and compression socks. That's actually, you know, okay. Remind me of that, okay? Yeah, shorts yeah, and compression socks. Yeah, yeah. Take so, a picture. <laughs> you know, I, I you know, I kind of like them. Um, you know, I don't really need them at my age, but I find that my feet are just less tired when I wear them. Seriously, and also yeah? I've heard that compression socks, if you're going to be sitting for a lo- extended amount of time, like taking a plane, uh, they could help with blood clots. Oh, so okay. even if you're young, uh, you could still get blood clots in your legs cause you're not moving around as much. Your blood isn't flowing as much, that sort of thing. Um, and the other kind of reason that I like compression socks, and this is totally like, this is a fill philism okay yeah uh when you're wearing nice shoes to the airport you know like not shitty runners but like that nice pair of loafers because you want to wear you don't want anything with strings going to the airport right because you got to take your shoes off put them back on that kind of stuff but like your nice pair of loafers uh compression socks are generally silky so you can slide in your foot slide it out nice and comfortable That's why I like that is such socks, a philism, like just such That's a weird a observation. Right but, um, but, okay. So but. do you like being, so, sorry, sorry. Do you like to being like cinched in by the cinched in, you know, like nice and tight with the compression socks? Is that something you enjoy about them? See, I've never really noticed that they're any tighter than like a pair of normal socks. They just go up higher. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's I always been, thought they were experience. almost like wearing long johns, like, um, under like, just like half long johns or something. Like they're very like, they bring it in like. Because, like, I really enjoy, like, wearing a nice pair of long johns from time to time um, because it kind of keeps everything together. I feel like a little bit like like I'm a superhero, you know? Like, I'm wearing, right. like, tights. So, I thought that's... Like you're was, uh, Robin. Yeah, yeah, totally. I would always play Robin as well with those little booty shorts, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, why would you want to be Batman? I always, honestly, man, like, my best friend and my older sister, they always assign me, like, player two. I'm like Captain Player too. Like my favorite guy was Luigi, um, Donatello, and the Ninja Turtles. Yeah, I, I always took the second guy. <laughs> All right, but uh, speaking of compression socks with shorts, Matt. Oh okay, yeah, so, right. Um, how about those tourists? So mm. from compression socks, friend or mm-hmm. foe, tourists. Oh, like it, um, okay. So it's in, that's an interesting one because Ottawa is like a touristy kind of place. Like a lot of people from Canada go there, and then we also get people from upstate New York. Um, Very and true. I lived in like the tourist sort of neighborhood. It's called the market, uh, before moving this year. Um, and I grew to like really dislike tourists and for the primary reason of stand, they, they would just stop in the middle of the sidewalk, like five abreast and just take like a selfie, um, or take a picture of like some nice building. Um, but you're walking like behind them and then all of a sudden they just abruptly stop Thank goodness they are often wearing backpacks, so you can just run into that, like, sort of, uh, kind of pseudo-compression sock of a backpack. So, like, but I've <laughs> I've bumped into tourists, and they've, like, ran into me, you know, because they're just looking in the wrong direction. Yeah. So, faux, like, just in terms of sidewalk etiquette, but friend in the sense that they drop a pretty penny into our coffers, right? Like our Th- That is true. Coffers. They do drive quite a bit of... Uh, tourism revenue so that's a real good friend or foe because it's a real like love hate thing like we kind of need them in our city but we also man they're so annoying so what about you friend or foe tourists well coming from outside of ottawa i'm in cottage land up here right right and 
the summer is the time when all the tourists uh, decide uh, to be assholes. You know, drive around their big pickup trucks, go to the corner store and chug beers on the corner, uh, leave their garbage lying around. So, you know, for me, tourism uh, from where I am is just like increased amount of people. Yeah, and, and like uh, noise pollution or something, basically. Quite a bit of it. You know, they mm. like doing their, their fires. Now, fortunately, they're far enough away that I can't actually hear them. So that's mm. fine. But, you know, the the tourist sightings, the cottager sightings that happen, you know, at the, the grocer and at the corner <laughs> gas station are enough to dissuade me from them. They are trying to tear apart the fabric of our being up here, Matt. They're <laughs> trying to, you know, they, they want what we have and, and they can't have it. And they're like... They're preying on us, you know, yeah, they, totally. they see the happiness and they just want some of it. Yeah. Um, some of them, you know, not yeah. all of them. Some of them are fine. The ones that I don't see or don't see me are okay. They're cool. Uh, but they do bring in lots of money. They do. I'm, I will have to say uh, during the summer, it gets mighty busy up here. So sure. I, again, it's one of these, like, we need them. Like I want their money, uh, yeah. but I don't want them. Yeah, that's true. And it's like, it's interesting because I just, I come up, I think of myself as a visitor to your, your region up there in the mountains. Um, but even when I come up to do the podcast, like I'm always stopping at that gas station there and getting some beers and like maybe a couple of packs and bags of chips or something. So like every time I come visit you, I'm dropping like a small amount of money into the local economy as well. Exactly. So yeah. it's, it's kind of both ways. I'm grateful for that. But then I feel like as a visitor, you need to watch your P's and Q's, as my mama would say, mm. like just sort of be polite. And um, they speak a lot of French there. I don't speak any French. So I'm just like, bonjour, like on the way out and like, right. au revoir. <laughs> like, and people are just like this idiot. Um, but then, you know, it, it's they probably all see me as a tourist, basically. <laughs> I've warned them of you, so they, they, they know you're coming. Uh, yeah. So, Matt, compression socks, friend or foe for you? Um, you know what? I, I kind of shifted. Uh, friend. Yeah, oh, yeah. You, sh yeah, you I shifted. did that thing again where you do that. <laughs> All right. Compression socks are a friend for both of us because I enjoy okay. them. Uh, cool. But tourists seem to be maybe a foe for you? Yeah. Or half and yeah. half? Yeah. Like, I'm in the middle, but towards the foe side. Like, I'm, I'm more foe on tourists for sure. What about yourself? Where do you come down uh, on it? I'm coming down in the middle. You know, Seriously, I don't, yeah. I don't, yeah, I'm, you know, oh, that's a hard one because like, I think as people, they could be nice, but as tourists, they're just assholes. Mm. Yeah. 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 It's and like a might, different that, sort that, of mode of being in the world, eh? of being a tourist. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we're going to take a short break before we go uh, and talk a little bit more about space and time. But Matt, we have something very special uh, for our listeners today, and that is a song. We have two songs, actually, from uh, Matt Steady. Now, Matt Steady is an indie artist out of the UK. Uh, you know, he produces these great songs that are rocky, that are bluesy, um, that really touch home. He has a new album out uh, called Theory of Ruins. Uh, we're going to play the title track off of that song, off of that album, Theory of Ruins. And I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to tell everyone to check him out, but I'm also going to send everyone to his patron page. So it's patron www.patreon.com forward slash Matt steady, M A T T S T E A D Y all one word. And the reason for that is because Matt shares how he makes the music from song to writing to recording and arranging all the way through choosing the songs for the album and the making of the artwork, which was like, this is super cool. 
Um, so if you're ne- if you haven't seen or heard or been part of the music production uh, scene, um, it's really neat to see how an album actually comes together. So for one dollar a month, subscribers get access to the video log and hear and download all the songs months before anyone else. So you even get a sneak peek at what Matt is putting together for us. And, um, you know, I connected with Matt on Twitter, super personal guy, like, uh, down to earth. He loves his art. He loves what he's doing. There's some, uh, live recordings of him playing these songs as well in little small venues around the UK, which, you know, for any audiophile, you know, that a small venue sounds absolutely fantastic. Uh, especially when you're playing like an acoustic guitar. Yeah, totally. So, so uh, without further ado, here's oh, yeah, uh, yeah, that Theory, of awesome. <laughs> Theory of Ruins from Matt Study. Upon my works, you find. 
everyone this is semi-intellectual musings i'm your co-host phil primo and i'm matt sanderson matt we just listened to matt steady's new song off his album theory of ruins and you know if you're just joining us now even though that's not how podcasts work but if you're just joining <laughs> in now or if you're just cluing in now that we've been talking to you for about 25 minutes if you uh, stop hitting fast talk- forward <laughs> oh, don't 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 do the jump forward 15 <laughs> seconds no 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 uh we're going to talk about space and time. Now, Matt, um, let's start with the idea of space a little bit. And uh, I'm going to turn to you. Talk to us a little bit about what it's like traveling across the country. Now, Canada is a huge place. And uh, you basically traveled across the country and have been there for, what, two weeks now? Uh, yeah, I've been here for basically like two weeks. Um, so to fly from Ottawa to Vancouver is uh, five and a half hours um, in one direction. And then actually flying home is really is shorter. It's like four hours because like the wind is at your back coming off the Rockies. Um, it's pretty intense, man. Um, we only have two like national airlines here in Canada. So they're both like have like very uncomfortable seats and you're like got just enough room kind of thing. So we flew with Air Canada, which is like slightly better maybe. Um, so that was uncomfortable. Um, when we got on the plane, uh, cause we we're traveling with me and my wife, our newborn Violet, uh, well, new, not newborn, I guess she's five months and our, um, eight year old Shih Tzu Friday, um, in a little soft carrier. So we were like packing the heat in terms of our accoutrement. So we we're taking yeah. up a lot of space, but something I didn't know if you have a child that's under like six months or a year you get priority booking or a priority seating. Right. So we took all of our crap basically. And we're able to like, just take over one of those whole like kind of compartments, like overhead compartments. So in terms of maximizing, um, our space and our storage, we did a really good job. Like my wife, Mel loves to like 
game the system and like get more checked bags in and like more carry-ons like she maxes out the allowable carry-ons so okay so it, our milk was so like in that regard yeah like we had so much stuff like i was taking up so much space i had to take the bus myself with my golf clubs and like an extra backpack and a carry-on bag down to the airport because there just wasn't enough space in the car like physical space so you brought, you brought your clubs as well yeah i brought like i put together this um kind of junky set and uh, brought them back to BC and just I'm going to leave them here. So um, there wasn't enough room in the car um, with all that stuff and Violet and Friday. And yeah, so I went down early because <laughs> wow. we wow. literally took up too much space. So traveling through space yeah. uh, from one province to another across the country, you took up too much space in your traveling device. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So this kind of brings me to my first point about sure. the idea of space. So space is liminal. And what I mean by that is space is always in proportion to where we are at one time. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, that plane is now empty. It has lots of space, but when you were there, you're taking up all the goddamn space. Yeah. Totally. Um, so I think like the first kind of thing that I want to kind of talk about is the idea of social space. And, you know, it comes from Lefebvre and it's this idea that space is always culturally relevant. Um, so it's imbued by symbols and social artifacts. Um, and it's something that really touches us profoundly as a culture. Mm. Um, and I think as Canadians in particular, we can, re we can relate to that idea. Yeah. And literally the massiveness of our country, like in terms of geographical space, that is in our, our cultural like fabric. So when we as Canadians are moving through the Canadian space, um, we sort of, for one, we realize how expansive it is and how big it is. Um, and that, yeah, I guess that kind of says something about our national identity in a way that we have this huge landmass, but we have few people. So it's sort of, it ties into all these things. But um, I know what you mean, like on a philosophical level that, um, when you are in space, you are in space with other people. And for me, yes. even when you yeah. are not with other, like literally like me and you sit next to each other, um, you're still tethered, like through a vast expanse of space, like you in Ottawa, me here in Vancouver. Um, but we are literally like sitting side by side, having a conversation. Yeah. So and like, kind of you know, I think new technologies help us have that sort of connection. Um, but even without them, there would be a way that we could be tethered, right? Like we could send letters to each other. Um, yeah, totally. We could like telegram or telegraph or whatever. Um, <laughs> but, you know, even like if you put those te technologies communication aside, we'd still have this sort of connection. You know, yeah, even, totally. even if we are thousands of kilometers apart, um, we'd still be connected in a, in a possibly quite a close way. Um, totally. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that I've been thinking a lot about lately, uh, specifically okay. about, um, you know, the space that I give my project that I'm working on for my PhD. Uh, and we yeah, don't totally. necessarily think of space in that way, but like the project takes up a lot of space in my head and in my life. Um, so stepping away from it for a couple of days and giving it space to breathe uh, has been really beneficial, right? So I've given it a little bit of space. Um, and like, I've thought about a whole new kind of set of things that I need to do on it and it's grown in a way in my head. Um, and that's, 
you know, something probably particular to those who write, but totally. And it's interesting um, that you describe like, like cognitively giving yourself space and distance, I think is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, separation is another way to think about it, but also like being outside of like your office space as well um, allows you to have like cognitive distance from um, all the thoughts and uh, ideas of your project that are associated with that physical space as well. So sometimes for me, um, and I'm sure you have similar things, so maybe you can describe some, but for me, like if I need to really think in a new and novel way about any sort of piece of writing that I'm doing, I like to go play golf or go for a long walk or something like this, but usually golf because it's like four hours of like distance basically. And then what's interesting for me, I plan to think when I'm on the golf course, think about stuff. I usually don't. I usually just think about <laughs> golf. And that is right. like the getting that space is actually really refreshing. So what are yeah. some of your sort of strategies to create distance? From, um, like cognitively, maybe. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think there might be a little distinction between place and space. And For sure. um, I don't necessarily like uh, the distinction in popular kind of talk about it. Because I feel um, like our office could be considered a place, uh, but I like to refer to it more as a space. Um, mm. And like, uh, what a about place, a site? Sorry, I'm just going to throw site out there. S I T E. Like, it's yes, a site. I, of... See, I, I I consider that more of a, um, a place rather than a space. Yeah. Um, so, like, our like my office is very malleable. You know, I could change it. Um, its current setup can be altered. Um, so I call that, I, that's why I like to think of it as a space, right? Um, and I think for me, I've kind of decorated and organized things in a way that are meaningful to me. Um, you know, put the desk facing a window so I can look out when I'm working. I have a bookshelf next to me that kind of displays, uh, you know, the things that are important to me. And book-wise, there's a long couch behind me where I can go and sit and read. Um, but if those things ever became toxic, um, I could remove them. So I can kind of control the space around me. But sometimes, like you were saying, that gets overwhelming. So I need to leave it, right? Um, I like going into the woods. I like walking through uh, the woods in front of my house. I think we've done that trail before, actually. Oh, it is um, beautiful. Yeah, I can see why you like that one. Yeah. yeah. Looks and like Sherwood kind of, Forest, actually, from yeah. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. That's what it reminded me of. It really does. And like with the, there's a section of it uh, for everyone who hasn't been there. Uh, there's a section that has like a little stream and a huge rock kind of next to it. And you can just imagine like hiding behind the rock and then jumping out and kind of, you know, <laughs> taking you by surprise or whatever. Um, Phil's yeah, secret hiding place. <laughs> that is where I go to hide. Like most deaf, it is not a secret. Um, but yeah, like um, walking going out into the woods. Uh, I like those spaces. Mm. Yeah. What about, um, for me, one, another one, it just kind of popped in my head, but, um, I, I use podcasting, like listening to podcasts as, mm. um, a cognitive distancing sort of technique where, um, like I get a lot of ideas for our own show and ideas for my writing and stuff I can work on with the students I tutor now, um, from podcasts for sure. But, um, it stops, to me, like when I'm listening to a podcast, my internal dialogue in my head stops and I just sort of listen. And that's another way of getting like distance, like in your own thinking, um, by think by listening to other thoughts and things like this that are completely unrelated to what you're working on, maybe. Yeah. So that's an interesting kind of space to be in, right? Like you could be mm -hmm. in the cognitive space, 
and you could be in a space where you're creative or productive. Um, so yeah, like I think, you know, there's space, physical space between us, geographic space, there's social space. So you could right. be physically next to someone, but be very far from them culturally and symbolically. Mm -hmm. Then yep. there's also like cognitive space where we right. are in our thinking, in our ability to have conscious thoughts. And also um, you mentioned the perspectives as well, like pers your perspective defines the space you're in and also the perspective of other people um, helps inform the your sort of understanding of the space that you're in as well. So it kind of, it's like a Foucauldian two-way street in that sense. So mm, I think yeah. that was really interesting as well. And another thing I just tack on, even though we're not like, like in the same space together, like I think there's something profound of, like being with others and then being alone because even when you're like alone by yourself like quite literally you're still like with a group of people that maybe you can't see but they're around and you can feel their presence right so like i feel like one of the really profound things is that you can never be outside of spaces outside of time and away from people like That's we are true. that yeah. social right so it's just that that deep well, this is, this is kind of the point that I was leading us towards, Matt, about right. space, is that we tend to think of space as something that is so removed from the social experience, but yet it is Im like imbued with sociality. Uh, right. Space is, how, is basically a way in which we can communicate uh, proximity, farness, closeness, those sorts of things. But then even, like you said, when we're geographically and physically alone we're still connected through spaces with exactly other like think even like say if imagine you're in like um like the international space station um but all by yourself and floating around the earth and like you're literally in outer space and you are alone um you're still surrounded by this technology that was built by like hundreds perhaps thousands and thousands of people so like you are surrounded in your little little bubble up there uh, all alone by like the influence of thousands of people. So like so even this, when you are literally alone, you're still surrounded by people. This brings us to another usage of space, which is mm -hmm. outer space and probably right. the most famous quote of space. Can you think, can you think of what it, what it is? Nope. <laughs> uh, it comes from Star Trek. Oh yeah. The final frontier. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Do you yeah, know, what, yeah, do you know sure. what the actual quote is? Uh, no, uh, fill us in. Uh, I'm not the biggest Star Trek guy. You're more of the Trekkie. Space, the final frontier. These ah. are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Mm. Space. Space is the final frontier, right? But that's also social space. And for anyone who follows Star Trek, you know that Star Trek TNG next generation mm -hmm. isn't really about spaceships it's not about outer space it's about social relationships yeah it's, it's almost like um it's almost like a show like like about an office or something or like a workplace or something and they're just like all these personalities in the workplace <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so even if you go to outer space social space still exists right yeah. so let's talk a little bit about time because right. time why not <laughs> time and space i think are related I Absolutely. think you can't yeah. escape time, um, but it's something also kind of tricky. Mm. So and like, I want to open up with the yeah, idea sure. that time isn't linear. Yeah. Uh, okay. You took the words right on my mouth. I was just going to do the of exact same thing, bro. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, no, like time is not linear. So by linear, we mean like in a straight line. So time is linear, but it's also not linear, which I think is kind of interesting. Like the way we conceptualize like time, like your wristwatch and like the time in the day is linear, but the actual like experiential relationship to time, it's more circular and jumbled up. Like think about memories and, and how we remember that and different places in time. So yeah, so it's it's linear, but it's also not linear. So that's yeah. kind of interesting. And the current way that we tell time, uh, you know, the 24-hour clock uh, with various time zones, which are like highly, highly confusing, um, you know, that's relatively a modern invention. And prior to having us this unified time, we actually had many different sets of time and many different sets of time governed the activity uh, of one town, for example. So you had a thing called farmer's time. So farmer's time uh, was actually, you know, based around the rotation of the sun, uh, right. the seasons, and it was designed to help farmers kind of grow their crops and tend to their livestock. And this wasn't the time that was shared, for example, by the train time. So train time had a different time. Mm. And that was to be able to allow trains to come and go and arrive at places and stay on schedule and not hit each other on the tracks. So there is a train time. You also had a postal time. So postal time allowed people to come and go at a convenient location in the city center um, and to be able to pick up and receive parcels. But that wasn't the same time as church time. So church time uh, <laughs> was a time that allowed, you know, the flock of practicing, you know, parishioners or whatever to come together and enjoy a time together over whatever ceremony. So at one particular historical moment, you could have up to five different times that would get and, really confusing. And then you just throw in there any sort of like religious slash cultural slash ethnic um, variant. So I'm thinking of um, Muslim yeah, yeah, people absolutely. who pray at different times of the day. Well, there so you that's going to completely change. And then if you're in the middle East, like the time is actually structured around the the call to prayer at the mosque, right? So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. And so you mentioned there, it's like rural, um, um, the communicate, the, I guess, shipping and transport of the train time, the, um, urban, uh, communication, um, of the postal time. Yep. And then we have all the cultural variants of it. Um, and there's probably a few more that we're not even thinking about all coming together. Yeah, so, absolutely. That's leading us to like the Nobel Prize winner, I believe, um, if I remember my Canadian Heritage Moment uh, show correctly. But it, uh, San <laughs> is it Stanford Fleming, uh, the Canadian who invented Standard Time or whatever? Uh, I know it's Fleming. Fleming, something Sanford or Stanford, I believe it was. Uh, um, but anyway, yeah, he um, is a Canadian. He won the Nobel Prize, I believe, um, for it. Um, and he basically was like, he invented time zones um, and standardized sort of that time so it's like there you see time being written into the geography of the globe and he basically just drew lines like um, um vertical lines up and down like a map and it was just like yeah. bam 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 time zones yeah and there you go and then you also have the international dateline as well yes. yeah yeah the time greenwich greenwich yeah, yeah greenwich meantime um, right yeah okay so um it's sir sir uh, sanford fleming sanford yeah sanford fleming like sanford and sons uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, born 1827 in Scotland, died 1915 in Nova Scotia, Canada, uh, and he invented uh, Standard Time. Now, my thing, my little beef with Fleming, dude, mm -hmm. why is Newfoundland and 
on a half hour time zone don't make no sense to me. I don't. So everywhere else it's hour time zones, you know, one hour behind, one hour ahead, two hours, whatever, except for Newfoundland, they're half hour. I don't get it. Yeah. I, I don't get it either. Actually. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's just Newfoundland doing their own unique thing, man. Like Newfoundland's a very distinct place. They, they didn't, for those who don't know, they didn't join a confederation. Like they didn't become a province of Canada until 19, I believe 49 or 47, something like that. It was late. Um, yeah. And, uh, there's also Labrador. Everyone forgets about Labrador. Um, so yeah, it's just this whole, it's this whole thing out there. And then also I know, um, Saskatchewan, I believe doesn't practice uh, daylight savings time. Um, they're just like, nah, <laughs> like, nah yeah. we're not doing so, that. <laughs> so Saskatchewan, um, and we have some friends of the podcast from Saskatchewan. Cool. We do. Um, yeah. so they don't practice daylight savings time, like you were saying. So one part of the year, they're in the same time zone as Alberta because Alberta does practice daylight savings time. And then when it flips over to the other side, they're in the same time zone as Manitoba. That's weird. And then it is geographically, so, they're located between those two provinces. It is right? so like, messed up. I don't understand it. <laughs> and like for anybody who is a podcaster listening, trying to figure out uh, what time you, you're actually going to connect with people like, you know, across the country is highly confusing. So like right now we're working on something uh, with the Pod Stuff podcast, and right. they're out of Texas, and yeah. we're trying to figure out three time zones to get together. And so it's like, okay, uh, CST versus PST versus EST, three hours ahead, two hours behind. Like, mm. what What time is it? Dude, I was asking my father-in-law here, I'm like, uh, when does the, like, Rangers, the Texas Rangers play the baseball team? Like, here, yep. like, if yep. the Jays were playing the Rangers in Texas, what time would that game start here? And I was, like, trying three different ways. And then it's also interesting that, like, Saskatchewan, it's like it switches between the two provinces, which I didn't actually know. That's actually interesting. Yeah. So my, it's my, with, my wife told me about that little snippet last night. So, so it's within these two different times, but then because they don't like technically practice daylight savings time in the same way as everyone else does um, in the world, I guess uh, they're also outside of time. So they're in like two different provinces, time space, and then they're also outside of time because they're not real participants in daylight savings time. Wow, I said time a lot there. <laughs> well, it's maybe time that we talk about another thing about time. Why and not? it's how we experience time. So sometimes yeah, time sure. goes by really fast. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it goes by pretty slow. Yeah. Um, and for anybody who has sat there and watched the clock, it is excruciatingly slow. But if you're enjoying, say, this podcast, time could be going by quite fancily for you. Mm-hmm. And you can also, like I had a, here's a quick little story. Uh, one of my very first jobs was working on an assembly line at a natural health food, um, like warehouse. So I was basically putting pill bottles into cardboard boxes yeah. and my spot was directly in front of the clock. So it oh, was like, brutal. it was like that classic thing where you see the second hand go and then like the second hand go backwards a little bit. It's like, oh gosh. Um, but I also think just to add up, add to the time thing, how it can go fast or slow you can also be displaced like outside of time. So like on this trip particular, I don't know why, but the the time change has just messed me up. So we're, I'm three right. hours behind where you are right now. Yeah. So yep. we sat down to start recording this at like 5.45 a.m. my time. Yes. Um, but like I've been waking up at like 4 a.m. like uncontrollably. And um, and then also I'm noticing that like, like I went to the mall and um, like three times during the trip, I was like, 
oh man, I should uh, go get something in Ottawa or whatever right now. Then I'm like, I look around, I'm like, oh yeah, right, I'm in Surrey, like oh. BC. <laughs> like, and so I'm like out of place and out of time because all of the. Out of place and out of time. But all the stores are exactly the same with the same sort of layout, right. same brands right. as right. Ottawa. So it's like very in place and in time. But it's like, yeah, it's weird how you can like cognitively be displaced like that. Yeah. Um, the last thing I kind of want to say about time sure. and you touched on a little bit about factory work is how we try to compress or elongate time. And I want to kind of say that like space time is extremely social. It's not something that exists out there, you know, to be found natural in the wild. I think we've, you know, it's a social construct. And that's, it's a loaded concept to use that word for something such as time. But I'm going to think, I'm going to have you think for a second, Matt, about sure. uh, factories and the ways in which industrialization and even today attempt to regulate, control, and compress time to be able to make more widgets or to be able mm -hmm. to track how long it takes to make a widget and then really mess with the whole idea of time, right? So you could have something precisionly crafted that takes many years to develop that then can be made again and replicated extremely quickly and efficiently and effectively right so that object how much time does it create does it take to make that object is there any def definitive way that we could say it but mm -hmm. i want to kind of you know get you thinking a little bit at least this is my hope about mm -hmm. how social time is important for us and it's yeah. in everything that's around us. Um, and it's in and all it, the spaces that we live in. Yeah, it's interesting too, man. Like, so as soon as you say like the industrialization and factories as shapers of space and time, um, I think as well as how we organize the education system, especially yeah, elementary and high school, absolutely. like it looks like a little weird factory, right? Yep. And it's to make, as you said, um, it's replicable. Um, it It's like you can mass produce um, a conformed, replicable product, right? So one of the criticisms of, of the factory and education as it's structured is that you lose creativity and innovation, right? Because everybody is being boxed into like almost a homogenized sort of shape there. Um, so I was wondering if I could throw it back to you, like how does our regulation of space and time um, you know, as you say, it, it's helped us industrialize, it's helped us advance, it's helped us produce things and creators of things. But like, what effect do you think that has on creativity and innovation? Well, this is precisely what thinkers like Walter Benjamin were concerned about, right? And I think with any standardization, so when we standardize spaces and when we standardize the experience of time, on the edges, we lose the ability to be creative. And I think that has been shown time and time again. I think there's lots of opportunities to be creative. And I think we've so far operated within them. But I think the next kind of barrier to cross and in innovation is to rethink space and time. And we've seen progress. So if you think of, uh, you know, workplaces, a uh, workplace that is considered like 2.0, uh, for example, yeah. where you can yeah. work from home, you can work almost anywhere, right? You like don't need to be hours, in that physical. Yeah flex hours, these sorts of yeah. things, right? Um, these are kind of innovations on the pre-industrial, industrial kind of way of seeing space and but time. Then, okay, right? so sorry, I, I just have to jump in so I don't forget. But then like, what does that do to expectations of productivity? Like um, if we are 
still like moving away from the the industrialized sort of model and we say we do flex time maybe you are now like expect it like sorry so no, like no, you're, no, I, you're i'm following your you, work needs to be done it's almost like a piecemeal thing like i'm working on a project uh for work but then you have to work like into the evening or like you're answering emails on the weekends and things like this so it's almost like work follows you like you are work almost in a protestant way <laughs> so like yeah. how does that how does that then like with innovations in space and time and productivity and innovation how does that impact expectation well matt this is going to come off as a quite crude answer to that but i'm going to give you a marxist kind of answer and yeah, for sure there's no way that we can rethink space and time in a way that will increase productivity under the current means of ownership and what i mean by that is I don't think we can expect employees who are working, uh, you know, for a big boss to actually be productive during their flex time. I think that's kind of like a, it's a myth, but, but art artisans or self-employed uh, people who are able to capitalize on the ability of flex time have been shown to be extremely creative and extremely productive. So I think the way in which time is owned matters a lot. And if yeah, you're on the clock paid per hour and you're allowed to do flex work, work from home, do, do these sorts of things, you're not going to have an increased amount of productivity. But if your time is owned by you and you are the master of your time and master of your space, I think we can see huge advances. Um, so I'm, you know, I kind of want to advocate a little bit for a loosening up of the ways in which time and space have been controlled by powers beyond us. But then we also need a corresponding loosening of the social and cultural expectations that go along with I think with you're work, absolutely right. right. Um, so like I love, um, I love taking the extra time to like work on uh, stuff for my tutoring. Um, I, I do more than what I'm being paid for um, and I enjoy every second of it. And it's very creative. Like I'm, yes. I'm making yep. connections and stuff yep. now in my teaching that I didn't do at... Um, as a TA, I thought I was, but no, like right now I'm popping in terms of like creativity. Um, but it's because I have, um, freedom over my space and time. It's ownership. Now, it's freedom of it's like, exactly. like, I own my own time in, now that's to not, a certain degree. <laughs> now that's not <laughs> economically degree. beneficial because you're, yeah. let's say yeah. only paid for 10 hours and you're spending 20 hours doing it, but, but it is beneficial socially. To my soul. Yeah. And it's socially and personally <laughs> beneficial. Yeah, so absolutely. the advances that we, um, can see and a redefining of our space and time aren't necessarily going to be played out on the economic sphere. And I think right. that can come with also the shift. So if we think back to a time and age where we're all sort of artisans, and I know that's kind of a figurative, figurative kind of thing to say, and you know, it's probably never yeah. existed. Um, but you know, if you have this pre capitalism sort of, um, Utopia. Utopia. I, I know yeah, let's mean. call yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah, let's call it. Yeah, utopia. it's more of a um, thought thought experiment. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Go ahead. you know, you 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 could probably again in this thought experiment think of people who are in complete control of their space and time, or almost near complete, right? Yeah, like full um, agency, right? Yeah, and they can grow as people. They can grow as a society. They can grow culturally, symbolically. Um, so I think the more, and I'll kind of wrap up this and I'll toss it over to you for a last word, but my last word is going to be the more that we control each other's space and time, the less kind of creative we become and the more sort of uh, weighed down we are. And um, 
you know, this is something that I've kind of realized with working on my project and experiencing that space and time, something that I've experienced when traveling as well. You know, if anybody has had to run for, to catch a connecting flight, they know that they seem extremely weighed down by space and time in that moment. Yeah, no, it's, um, you experience it in different places. Like for me, so like my last word, um, something that I talked about in my research, um, and as somebody who is in chronic pain, um, and I know Phil, you can empathize with this and understand it. Um, you have a differential experience of space and time, space and time become, um, pain, uh, painful, like pain hyphen full. So the time and space is full of pain. Um, so like, I think it's interesting when we think of space and time and how we move through it, it's, and I'm not claiming either of us are this way, but it's, it's ableistic, right? Like we don't think about how people are with disabilities move through space and time differently and in a more difficult fashion. So, um, in that sense, I think it's very powerful to think about people's, um, um, intentions, intentionality when they move through space and, and move through time and why it's important to them because people who are in pain or with disabilities takes a lot of effort, but they still do it, man. Um, so I think that's really a kind of a, an interesting way to leave it off there. I like where we've left it, Matt. Uh, I want to close up this part of the show, uh, with another song from Matt Steady. This one from the album, Blood is Thicker Than Gold. It is the first song on that album called The Roamer. And again, uh, you can catch Matt Steady at www.mattsteady.com. He also has a Facebook page, Matt Steady Music, and he has a very active Twitter account at Matt Stoic Steady. Uh, you can also check out bios and photos at mattsteady.com forward slash press. And I would invite everyone to check out his new patron offering where you can get behind the scenes videos and you know chronicles of how he puts this music together which is you know talking about space talking about time i think matt uh matt steady's work matt uh, there's a lot of mats there but matt steady's work uh, especially his patient page can give us a glimpse of how you know someone uh like an artisan crafts his work and how he kind of manages his his space musically uh, and also his time musically so um you know i think it's apropos uh, the lyrics to this song called the roamer Uh, And when we come back, we'll have uh, a few recommendations for you. Highways stretch before me, horizon full of haze. Heading south, 300 miles, dry wind fills my days. My feet keep on walking to some place feels like home. I will roam. Traveling man couldn't spare the time to dig too deep and a bacon sand. Desperate pull the gravity, I'm on it when I can. I will.
filled with lead Redemption or damnation I know not where I held I will roam I will roam Oh, I will roam Welcome back. This is Semi-Intellectual Musings. Uh, I'm Phil, your co-host, Matt. Matt, why don't you start us off uh, with some recommendations? Okay, cool. Um, so I got a little bit one that's a little bit off the wall, but I am going to recommend visiting Surrey, British Columbia as a tourist, in particular if you're somebody who enjoys doing like culinary tours or like eating all the local cuisine when you're in a new place. So Surrey is, I'm really proud to say, is an incredibly multicultural place. And um, not only do we have a lot of people from different ethnicities, races, or different parts of the world, however you want to call it, um, they're new Canadians, they're first generation, second generation, but the people sort of, they mix here. Like, uh, my friend group is very multicultural, and I'm not the only person who's like this. So um, all of my friends have kind of introduced me to the food of their, I guess, homeland. Um, and you can get like really, really high caliber um, food from all over the world here in Surrey. So just a couple of quick like hitters. I won't do like local recommendations, but um, the Indian food in Surrey just right off the bat is off the chains. Well, uh, yeah. Outside of, say, England, um, Surrey and British Columbia more specifically has the largest uh, diaspora of Punjabi people. So the food there is like your butter chicken, your naan bread, like using the tandoor oven, the big clay oven. It's it's amazing. It's like mountain food from India. So I highly recommend the Indian food here and especially get a tali as well if you are, are here, but you'll find out about that. Um, we also have um, Asian food from every country and region um, in the entire continent. Um all represented here in Surrey. So you get Japanese, Korean, various types of Chinese food, um, Southeast, um, Southeast Asian as well. Um, and then um, what I've been happy to see in the last like 10 years is a lot more Middle Eastern cuisine um, in the city. Um, so uh, my, some very good friends of mine who are Afghanis, they've, they show me like just stuff I've never even experienced before. So you can get all those things in beautiful Surrey, British Columbia. So that is my recommendation. Come right, to Surrey, well, eat the food. <laughs> go to Surrey, eat the food. Kind of sound like a uh, tourism BC ad, but that's okay. It is. Well, honestly, man, everybody goes to Vancouver because that's what they know. And everybody talks shit basically about Surrey, um, but they have no idea what they're missing. In some regards, just because like it's a friend or foe thing. Um, I don't want too many people coming here, but just yeah, enough to yeah. like, you know, support the local restaurants and promote um racial and ethnic harmony like i don't think that's too those, crazy those are pretty good uh you know you know it, it would be a good day it's a good day when uh, we can promote those things man so think, what about I you my doing friend good <laughs> what do you got for a recommendation uh, for us? well you know not that lofty that's for sure thanks for setting me up uh i actually um am pleased to have found a series of books um that are a brief history of and now this isn't those little books like a brief history of capitalism or a brief history of globalization. These are 
full-length, well-researched, well-sourced books by scholars in the field. Um, And it's published by Robinson, uh, which is a Little Brown book company out of the UK. You can check them out at littlebrown.co.uk. And they've put out, uh, they've kind of re-released a whole bunch of these classic kind of books. So the ones that I'm holding in my hand, Matt, and you're going to be dumbfounded when I tell you this, um, but A Brief History of the Anglo-Saxons, Beginnings of the English Nation, yeah, hist- I know nothing about that. That's really cool. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, Brief History of Life in Victorian Britain, A Social History of Queen Victoria's Reign. Uh, you know, again, highly Yeah, I can see that for book. your research as well. Yeah, and then sure. uh, Brief History, the, uh, the Greek Myths. So God's Monsters, Heroes, and the Origins of Storytelling. Um, mm. So, you know, these, like I said, they, they're not these small little books. Like this Greek myth one runs 530 pages. It has, uh, you know, an index. It has a list of references. It has footnotes. It has tables. Um, it has tables of how the myths kind of interrelate. Um, they have pictures sometimes in the middle. Uh, they're really great guides. I got them at Chapters Matt, three for 10 bucks. Wow. Really? Yeah. Three for That's 10. That's crazy. Um, so and those are all, like, so they sound like, like, so you got Victorian, you got the Anglo-Saxons and, um, uh, Greek myths. So that's like, if you read those three, you'll get a nice basis in like the foundations of Western civilization and exactly. Western thought. Basically. And I have, I have six more of them, but these are the three titles that I'm going to talk about, um, that I wanted to just kind of introduce the, the, the series with, but anyway, they're from, uh, Robinson press, which is a, a little Brown book company. Uh, I highly recommend checking them out. I, I believe that they're still available online for order through chapters Indigo. Um, but yeah, I really wanted to recommend them. I think having these kind of brief guides, these kind of introductory texts gives you lays a foundation for how you can understand a certain topic. And oh, that's uh, really cool, man. Yeah. I don't think, you know, being a scholar, I don't think you need to go directly to the peer-reviewed research papers to get a good foundation. I think uh, a nice little accessible man. text can uh, can help you out. Yeah, you almost need to. That's uh, that's really cool. So um, after they picked up those books, um, they're going to read it, but they'll need to know how they can reach us. So Phil, why don't you let the good folks know how they can reach us? You can reach us on Twitter at the underscore S-I-M underscore P-O-D. We are on Facebook at The SimPod. You could email Matt and myself at semiintellectual at gmail.com. Uh, we're going to ask you today to subscribe to the podcast and uh, we're going to have some stuff coming up down the pipes for you that uh, if you have a subscription, that would be great. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, PodFX, uh, geez, I don't know, PodAttic. Uh, we're on the internet. We're all yeah, over the all place. over the internet. We're all over the internet. And Matt, uh, I want to leave everyone with a, uh, you know, I think it's a pretty apropos song, again, from Matt Steady. And uh, I would invite everyone to subscribe to his Twitter and Facebook and Patreon to be able to get the behind the scenes kind of take on how this music comes together. This is from his album, Rambling on the Blacklist, and it's a song called Time. Beautiful. Seems apropos. Thank you all for joining us. It means so much to us that you've spent the last hour listening to us. Um, Continue the conversation. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, send us an email. And thanks again, uh, Matt Steady, for letting us uh, play your music. Yes, thank you, Matt. And uh, we will talk to all of you next week. Isn't it just like me To make a joke out of tragedy All I needed was some time 
not living in the past Just thought I'd try to make you laugh Well, there's one thing I can do Doing well, yes, I wish I could I was just passing through your neighborhood But you don't seem too amused I just thought I'd stop and say Just thinking about you today And you were right I see you in the morning sun In the flight of the blue hair gun Evening sky, I see you in my dream. This song was easy to write, just came to me last night. Only took me fifteen years. Isn't it just like me To make a joke out of tragedy All I needed was some time All I needed was some time All I needed was some time